stories turn songs into symphonies, events into memories, and lives into legends. In our crowded world, knowing your story cuts through the noise so you can make your mark, whether you want to sell more books, increase profits, or just make a difference. At Sterling & Stone, story is our business. The Story Studio Podcast is where we explore ways we can all tell our stories better. And now, with the Story Studio Podcast number 26, here's Johnny, Sean, and Dave. Hello, welcome to the Story Studio Podcast. Uh, we have Bonnie Johnston back for the fourth episode out of eight. Uh, in Been so long seven. since we've seen her. I know. Um, <laughs> today we're going to talk about how to story jacket and outline, uh, like developmental editing at the outline stage. Um, because I'm on a roll and because I'm... I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. I will mention before we get started that um, I had an anecdote to go with this last time, but the Smarter Artist Summit is now on sale. It's preliminary because it's not until February, but um, smarterartistsummit.com. It's the last summit. So, you know, get in there with Yay. that Black Friday madness and trample each other <laughs> getting to the gate. Dave is so excited. He's never been happier. <laughs> right. For Dave, it's just like he doesn't even care about the summit. He's just there for it to be the last. <laughs> I document Dave, last things. Dave heard last, and then he was like, I'm there. <laughs> Dave, are you going to start taking the Xanax now? <laughs> yes. Well, now, no, if I do that, it won't work. I'm so on top problem. of it this year that I'm mentioning it so early that Dave now will have like nine months to fret instead of the usual one month. Oh, that's good, because I don't like that last month where he tries to get all the, the fear and fretting like condensed in a It's like doing period. your Christmas shopping early, Dave. <laughs> Just do it slowly yeah. over time. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about story jacketing. So maybe a good place to, well, first of all, welcome again, Bonnie. We've already seen you, so it was weird to think, yes, I should welcome you. To Bonnie is now the Justin Timberlake of the show. Yeah, you passed uh, Ed Robertson, mean? I think. Not Steve Martin, Saturday Night Live thing. Uh, the number... Uh, most Justin Timberlake is the, has the, uh, the most... I'm sorry, I have to explain this. Justin means Timberlake that you're in a boy has, band, Bonnie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Justin okay, Timberlake cool. has been on Saturday Night Live many, many times. So that's you. I think more, has he? Okay. Well, yeah, Ed Robertson used to be our Justin Timberlake, but I think you've passed him now. I don't think he was on four times. Okay, cool. So what um what does story jacketing mean and how are we going to kind of approach this? Wow. Uh, um when Sean and I originally started talking about story jacketing, um, the first thing I asked him was like, can I see an example of what you're looking for? And he said, no. <laughs> um, so basically, um, I have a lot of experience as a developmental editor. You made it sound like I had a gavel. <laughs> you're out of order, Bonnie. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. Um, but he was basically, no, I want to see what you're going to do. Um, and I have a background in developmental editing. So I basically look at the, have been looking at the outlines from the perspective of a developmental editor, um, looking at them in terms of like, what is the structure? How does the story build? Um, do the characters make sense? Do the characters work for the kind of story that it is? Um, are all the right moments in the story emotionally that need to be there for us to believe that the character is changing and to believe that what's happening is actually happening and they would make these decisions? Um, and it's turned into, I look at other things, but like right now my focus is very heavy on character arc and making sure that the character arc actually supports the climax of the story so that those two storylines are always moving together in parallel. Yeah. So 
structurally what they look like, I think this is going to be really different once um, we're, we're a few weeks away from having a totally different version of story shop. And right now it's the most awkward. Um, it's we, we have version control issues and um, you know, we're, we're using a combination of Scrivener um, docs, we're docs and pages and just getting, <laughs> you know, passed back and forth to everybody and version numbers changed. And so it's not really an elegant solution right now because ideally you should be able to look at a timeline and see how a draft changed from, you know, version of version of version, which we'll be able to do with story shop. Okay. Here's what version three looked like and see all the changes. Now they're just, <clears throat> they're passed back and forth. So by the time Bonnie gets it, the last one, I sent her, I think was pretty messy because I forgot to accept track changes and like, here's something clean to read. So she had like probably this nightmare of color and, and, and text, but, but what, what normally comes back is Bonnie will give us like, uh, I think the last one was about a thousand words with a feedback. There's, there's a, a healthy amount of feedback and it's like a letter. Dear Sean, it always says, dear Sean, I really enjoyed this story of blah, 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 because of blah, 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 blah here are the issues I see. And then there'll be, you know, uh, here's an issue with this character. Here's an issue with this character. Here's an issue with this character. Overall, I think this works in these ways, but here are the deficits this story has. Do you expect anybody to give a shit about it? Now she's always very nice and very diplomatic, but that's pretty much the the, the crux of anything like that. And then she'll say, she's the details. Of with yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Or, or, or Joel. Joel Joel did what on the same exact draft. And Jen was like, oh my God, I feel like he's yelling at me. <laughs> right. And so there's, I mean, we all have very different ways of communicating. I thought Joel's were, were funny. I'm laughing. Right. And Dave, same thing. Dave and Johnny are, are almost vicious in their <laughs> feedback. But well, we're vicious we're in, here. right. We're vicious in ball busting ways. We're right. not it's, like you're it, a stupid right. asshole. It's, it's, it's ways to make each other. You can't because, write a fight scene. You ever been in a fight? <laughs> right, right. No, I actually, for me personally, I like criticism if it's done in that way because I laugh and it disarms the actual sting of, dude, you kind of suck at this thing, right? And so, um, uh, but there will always be very specific comments that are tied to the general comments. So, the, you know, the, the general comments are, here are things you really want to look out for globally in the story. And then... You know, we'll go through, and I think the last one, there was, you know, there, there's a lot. There's a 50 to 100 individual comments throughout the story in addition to the, the whole synopsis. And then our job is to go in, and we can't agree with all of them because it unravels the story. But you can agree with the things that, okay, well, that makes sense. And then you'll, you know, change that thing. But then there's the butterfly effect where that one change now changes seven other things. So, which again is why we want to bring Bonnie into this part of the process earlier, because we've been making a mistake by having it come later and it requires just unnecessary surgery that shouldn't be there. So um, addressing each of those comments becomes, you know, a, a really time consuming thing, but the beauty of a story jacket is that as time consuming as that is, it's way faster, way less expensive than doing it after your book is written, which is when most people address these problems. So that's the whole point of this conversation is the value of a story jacket. And you don't have to use that language. Like we like to give things 
cute little names in this company. You like to give okay, I like to give things cute little names in this company. Um, and it, it works for us, it helps us to categorize. But it all we're talking about here is a is a pre-developmental edit. And it is important to give your work that because you're gonna write a better book and you're gonna do it in less time. So um you entire draft <laughs> and, and, and not delete your entire draft yeah I, I mean it's it's a huge huge difference so i'm i'm finishing a book tomorrow and i'm starting a book the day after tomorrow um and for both of those like this the, the book that i'm just finishing up has been the smoothest writing process i've ever had in my life and it was because it had really good um pre-production ahead of time it had a very thorough story jacket from bonnie i knew these characters wait 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 really, you really. did pre-production ahead of time i but ahead of time yes it was <laughs> sizably ahead of time good um uh, and but but I, I took the time to do that and to to really know these characters to really know their story and so by the time i'm telling it you know where i'm actually behind the keys and just telling it uh, i'm kind of just transcribing a story that i've talked out loud um, I, I've, I've hashed it out with Jen a bunch of times. I've hashed it out with, with Bonnie, um, Spencer looked at this, this outline. So it, it's had a lot of impact or I mean, sorry, a lot of feedback. And I understand it. This next one, I understand even more. So the, the outlines are getting better. They're getting, um, cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and it's all up front. And so I'm, I'm hitting higher word counts per day than I have in years. And with, I think better rough draft. Um, copy and again it, it's all the story jacketing process so bonnie just uh let's talk some tangible things that, that people can walk away with um can you tell us the things that um that over time that you've seen outlines come on your desk the things that we've improved on the most the things that we're still lacking the most because i think both of those are are worth taking home okay um Things that we've improved on the most. I think that the drafts I've been getting from um, from you lately have actually had a much more focused, even if the character arc wasn't perfect, it's been much more focused. And it was like there was a clear movement of the character going through the story. And I could see how you're trying to make them change, even if even if it didn't quite work for me, um, I can still see it. So I'm seeing progress in that in terms of how the, the character arcs are starting to feel like they're more baked into the story. Um, one of the hardest things, it, it's a little bit difficult to tell from an outline sometimes, um, but one of the hardest things is to get a, an outline where the character is being passive, where they're, um, they're being moved through the story by events, but they are not making decisions. Um, and I don't want to name names, but there was one, um, there was one outline I looked at, um, and basically an event happens and the entire book up to the climax is the character kind of waiting for something to happen and talking to people. And then at the very end, this like, massive climactic thing happens that you knew was going to happen anyway because we saw that it was coming um and then the character has a massive realization and goes oh my god my life purpose has changed um and it wasn't that it wasn't that what was happening during the middle was bad but the character was not making active choices and like i think a lot of my feedback was like there needs to be something he's trying to do here he can't just be sitting here waiting 
Um, and those are the most painful ones for when I used to developmental edit on a manuscript, like someone would pay me $5,000 and I would spend a month going through their novel. And then at the end of it, I would have to tell them, you have to rewrite every single <laughs> scene because your character never makes a decision or chooses to do anything. They're just there and reacting to things that everybody else is doing. Um, and so I really love working on the outlines now more than just working on drafts because now like there's so much less work to do to fix major problems like that. And that's not a, that's not a regular one that happens occasionally. Um, most of the outlines you sent me are pretty strong in terms of the characters being driven to do things. Well, one thing that you, you pointed out in, in a very recent outline, which I thought was great was, um, the, the the antagonist got their full comeuppance at the end, but the main character didn't really trigger that. It was <laughs> right, okay, right. So so they they got it, and it was it all made sense, and it, it would have worked. But it was almost like he abdicated this big victory to somebody else. And so even though narratively it worked, structurally it worked, all the events that had to happen happened. And the order that they had to happen and about the time and place that they had, all, all of that was in place, but it was who was able to actually plant the flag in that victory that was in the wrong hand. And so yes. that required some significant rewriting, but here's the magic of this stuff. You guys, <laughs> every time that you take the time to do this, it does make your story better. Every single suggestion that we took the time to say, okay, Bonnie's right about this. So how do we give this victory to this person over here where it belongs? Well, we're going to have to reverse engineer all the things to make that happen. Guess what? All of those things make your story more awesome. Every single one of them. Okay, well, here's where this person went to school. So they met this person. So they did this thing and started this. And and there's the, now we have this chain of events um, that gives the victory to the right person. Actually, the same person got the victory. But now our our main character had a very decisive hand in how it happened. And before they were just kind of off to the side watching it and going, that's awesome that you did that. Good job. I mean, not really, but kind of. I kind of want to write that book. <laughs> and, and so another way to look at this is how are you... A lot of times we can tell stories that are good enough. They do work. And I think that that's where we've been as a company for a few years. Like we, we're all very instinctive storytellers. We're, we're natural at this. We enjoy it. So we can go back to the well and do it over and over. But we know it's time to really up our game because the difference between, you know, getting it 80% of the way there and that last 20%, well, that really is a different level. And I think that you know, in any kind of publishing, any kind of writing, and especially for indies, you can get out there fast and it can be ready, fire, aim. And that's awesome. But we have focused a lot on the last few years of sending the message that you want to get better as you can afford to, as far as, you know, getting a higher caliber of editing and cover and uh, marketing budget and all of that stuff. But it's also true just on a craft level. You should always be trying to get better characters. You should be trying to get better outlines. You should be trying to get better structure, better climaxes, better endings, better lead-ins to your next books, better synergy between your characters and their stories. And that happens by taking the time to study what you're going to write or understand what you're going to write ahead of time. 
And I think that also um, it's easy be- when you're trying to write fast and you're trying to get a lot of stuff out. It feels like a lot of pressure to learn new stuff. But mm-hmm. like you're not talking about like to go from 80% to 100%. You're not talking about putting in 20% more time. You're not talking about learning 20% more techniques. A lot of the times it's like a few simple changes in the decisions you're making that take you that extra 20% and take this from like, oh, that was kind of a cool story to, oh my God, you wouldn't believe this story. (laughs) Because those little tiny tweaks in terms of character make all of the plot events that you've already got that are cool seem more meaningful to the reader. Um, I think the other thing I would, I would, say like more as a um if you're not able to afford to have somebody look at your stuff if you went through your outline and and you you just read every sentence the character does this and then you stop and you ask yourself why is the character doing this why are they making this decision why is this the thing they're doing instead of all these other things that they could do and you just ask yourself for everything the character does can you come up with a really good solid reason why they did that thing instead of all the other things they could have done. Um, You're mapping out your character's motivations as you do that. And you're going to start to see holes because you'll start to recognize that some of those whys are very flimsy or they're just, they're just like, well, because, or because it's cool or because I need them to be here. Like whenever you're reading (laughs) because I need them to be here is never an okay answer. (laughs) Right. That's like the worst. That's a sign that you're like using the characters as puppets and that your characters are not actually, they don't have agency. Um, they're not making their own decisions. And that that's like readers can always, always, always tell that. That's like a that's like a story where the characters always feel like they're going through the motions. You're like, Yeah, I read this and cool things happen, but I just never really got into it. And I never yeah, really and cared that's, about readers won't go, they won't grab another book. I mean, out of we, we do have our fair share of one star reviews that say things like, I hate your characters, <laughs> but they don't say things like your characters seem like puppets. Like, that's not, I don't think we've ever, I mean, in a hundred books and thousands and thousands of reviews, I don't think we've had that particular review even once because we love our characters and we, we, we put a lot of, um, you know, ourselves and we, we do put a lot into the characters, but that doesn't mean that, um, we've done as good of a job creating them as creating their wants and understanding their wants and creating those arcs. That's a different thing. And that's the value of a story jacket because, you, you find where all those holes are. And th- that might be a good question. What are the, other than character arcs, which I think we've gone into depth about, what are other things that we want to make sure that every story has? So when you're passing back a story jacket, um, let's say the character arcs are, we finally got that. Because I think we will. I think, honestly, by the end of this year, I think we'll be at, <clears throat> I think we were at 50%. Maybe we're now at 80%. And if we keep doing it, then by the end of the year, we should have like a 90-something average. So what are the other things then that we will turn to? What are the, or when we have new authors who are coming in, which, you know, will regularly happen, what are the things that we want to look for from just budding authors? Um, Okay. So if we were like trying to train a budding author from the beginning to really get all those story elements, right. Um, I think character motivations are huge. Um, I think, Understanding structure not as something that's like the straitjacket you have to follow, but understanding it as an alternation of emotional experiences. Like you have to have a character who is complacent. You have to have that character um, realize that they're losing control of their world. You have to have a couple of moments 
where the character is just like they decide to commit at the first plot point and then at the second plot point um, where whatever is going on, they have to somehow rekindle their desire to do whatever it is they're doing. You have to have a couple of pinch points, but all those are is like two moments in the story where the character realizes in a really profound way, Oh crap, I'm in over my head. That's all. That's all pinch point is, but you need to have the alternation of like, I'm fine. No, I'm not fine. No, I think I can get control. Oh shit. I'm in over my head. Wait a minute. Maybe there's another, another way to do this. Like, Oh shit. I'm in over my head again. I recommit to do this. Everything falls apart. And then I figure out how to fix this finally. And that's basically three-act structure right there. Those are your major plot points. So not looking at it as like, oh, my gosh, I have to have 40 scenes. Or, oh, my gosh, I have to figure out what my pinch point is. Um, just realizing that your character is going through those alternation of emotions. And that's what you need to get right in your story. If you get that right in your story, the structure is going to work, even if it's not exactly where, even if the points are not falling exactly where traditional plot points are. Yeah. Okay. Fall. So th this is a good point. In, in the, in the last story jacket that you gave to me, um, Jen and I actually had this conversation this morning because as I was moving it to Scribner and I could actually see the act breakdown, it's really top heavy. So not only are the chapters in the beginning much longer, um, than the chapters at the end, which may not necessarily be the case. Cause when you get to the end, you know, the story better and there's, more there but just as far as numbers um i think there's uh 15 chapters in act one like 18 and two three has 13 and then there's like six or 10 10 and three and six and four so like act three and four are really small act one and two are really heavy but if you look at the order of events and and where everything needs to happen it feels right the, the story feels right and so i was saying I was asking Jen, do you think that this feels okay? Cause it's, it's not balanced. And she's like, that would not bother me as a reader in a million years because the story is there and the cascade of events is right. And it just really, that'll probably just end up making it read really fast at the end. Like, Oh my God, I tore through that thing at the end. Exactly. So, it's going to be like a, it's actually going to be an advantage pacing wise because the story is going to have the slow build that just accelerates and accelerates and accelerates. And when you understand the rules so that you can break them in a way that actually makes your story more fun, that's when you have really understand structure. <laughs> right. And the, the thing that I'm just finishing up now, I mean, you can see that in the stuff that I've been posting in the, the story studio channel, right? Those little snippets, it's just rolling to a close. And those little chapters are short and fast. And I, I, I think that that does work for pacing. But, but the point there is that I think a lot of people, they're asking those kinds of questions, right? If they're focusing on the wrong things. So let's talk about that for a second. What are, what are the wrong things that authors focus on? Because we get these questions all the time. Uh, the one that we like to joke about is how many words are in a serial? Because, <laughs> right, that's like the number one question that we're asked. And it's like, well, how many words do you need to tell the story that you're going to tell? It could be 7,500 words. It could be 50,000 words. We have both. And they both do a job of telling a serialized story. So thinking about, like you use the example of 40 chapters because um, we always start there now because because we're tending to think in terms of four blocks instead of three acts and 10 chapters or events per block is a really good starting point. But very few of our books are ending up with 40 chapters, 
<laughs> right? It's it's a the one that I'm I'm starting to right now is sixty some, like almost seventy, I think. But it started with forty, and then they get broken down, and it's just a place to start. But you could start anywhere. You could start with twenty. You could start with a hundred. It just doesn't matter. It's focusing on that. I think it's a diversion. So what are the things that you see people focusing on that are just wrong? Like, oh my God, I could tell that you spent 20 hours doing that thing that doesn't matter. What are those things? Um, Well, probably the number one would be like coming up with tons and tons of details about the character that are superficial or that maybe don't tie into like a central worldview or a central philosophy or something that like kind of that they should be emanating from like trying to be like, Oh, here's my character's favorite ice cream. And we're going to make sure that they listen to things on vinyl. And, and you have like (laughs) all these details crammed into the story, but because they're not reflective of something really important about the character, they're just things that are cool. They don't, they they're, they're cluttering up the story without telling you something really important about the character, which is why we put telling details in to begin with. So that's um, the difference between knowing your characters and superficially knowing them. It, you, yes. you need to make your characters uh, friends, not acquaintances. Yes. Um, and the other thing I think I would say is don't get too hung up on shoulds in terms of like, like for example, it should be 40 scenes or I should have these major plot points. Like every story is going to have different needs um, and your story will tell you what it needs. If you're like, oh no, I have like eight scenes of this one person's point of view and then I need to cut to this other thing. And like, don't be afraid of that. Figure out what, figure out why you're doing it. Like, don't just do it blindly. Don't just have like 50 points of view in the story, but figure out very deliberately. It's like, why do I need to show this thing over here? And why is this in first person point of view versus third person? What am I trying to accomplish with this? Like, what are all the things that are going to give the reader a cool experience that's also significant? It's like tied to what's happening to the characters as opposed to just being cool. Um, But then if your story, like you said, needs 46 scenes or 60 scenes, or you need to have like shorter acts at the end, don't be afraid of that. Do the outline, get some feedback on it just to make sure it's working. (laughs) But like, think of it in terms of like, what is the best way to tell the story? What does the reader really need to see? What does the reader need to experience? Instead of just going like, well, 40 scenes, like what happens in scene one? What happens in scene two? What happens in scene three? Um, Because a template is always a great starting point, but it's never. But that's all it is. Yes. It's never going to be like the one way to write your story. Uh, so I've been looking for a place to shoehorn something in and it, it would have been really inappropriate. So you just mentioned some stuff that, that may, okay, I'll shoehorn it in here. So, um, another thing that, that I think that is really important. I mean, you talked about like causality in terms of character arc and all that stuff, but causality in general, um, I know that taken to an, it's extreme. People talk about the deus ex machina and they'll say, well, well, that was really convenient. Or, um, the criticism that I really enjoy um, sarcastically speaking is when people say, um, Oh, well convenient that, that that guy is the one who survived. Well, motherfucker, you wouldn't have bothered telling the story about the person who didn't survive. We're, we're the storyteller. We're choosing who to tell the story about. So in fiction, it's okay and necessary for things to have meaning. Like I know that some people are like story anarchists and they're like, well, life is meaningless. So I'm going to include a bunch of meaningless shit. Well, that's just lazy. So <laughs> that makes it about them and not the reader is the problem. Right. So, um, we've all seen those stories where something just happens and then something happens and then something happens rather than being causally linked. And you're just like, 
why did we hear about that? Why did we see this thing? Why did this scene take place? There was no meaning to the whole thing. Um, there's, I don't, it's a major spoiler and it's, the franchise is still too new, but there's something that happens at the very end of the Hunger Games m- books and movie that fucking pisses me off because there's no need for it. It just happens and it's tragic and it's like, there was no point to any of that and actually negates some of the causality earlier. So can you just talk to the just causality in general and the fact that every scene and person and line of dialogue needs to have some meaning yes um and causality is like an integral part of story there's no point in telling a story if things happen randomly um because that's not meaningful right and fiction is a stylized meaningful um reenactment of something that that could happen in real life right it's like we're not trying to just like say here's crazy numbers of things that could happen wouldn't it be fun to imagine them and they're all in the book um and and i think that um i think that when you see that happening sometimes it's because the author was panting and it was just like whatever they could think of that day and they weren't really thinking in terms of the big picture of the story sometimes i think it happens because the author is kind of in love with those things happening um or it hits some sort of emotional hot button for them so it gets included in the story because it turns them on even though it doesn't actually connect to what's happening in the story um, but if you go through your story, this is something that I, I started doing um, years ago. Is like I would make an outline and I would look at, at start at the bottom at the end and say, okay, this thing happened. What happened previously in the story that caused this to happen? And then I go back to the previous event and trace it back. Like, why did this happen? What happened previously or what was set up in the world that made this happen. And if you can go through your outline and every single thing in the story is caused by something that happened before, then you probably don't have any plot holes. Um, Once you've done that, then you need to think about foreshadowing though, because um, even if the cause is there embedded in the world or embedded in previous actions, sometimes it's not enough just to have it exist in the world. Sometimes you have to like clue the reader in so that when they get to it, they believe that it happened. Um, they believe that there was something happening before off screen or something that's in the the in the setup of the world itself that would cause that thing to happen there in the story world, even though it might not happen in our world. And then I think um, finally you have to, there's a reason that um, you probably heard this saying that like it's totally okay for your characters to get into trouble because of a coincidence. It's never okay for them to get out of trouble because of yeah, I like that adage a lot. Um, yeah, so anytime you're looking at your story, anytime you have a synchronicity or a coincidence or a convenient event, you have to find a way to seed that and make sure that there's something in the world that would believably cause that to happen um, it, within the story so that the reader is not going like, well, this guy is just like succeeding. Yeah, he, he's well, here's a tangible... Lucky. Yeah, here's a tangible example in in the outline that you're already familiar with. So um, the there's the the point where the one guy is not being especially kind to the girl that he should have been kind to, and she's you know doing coke and getting all kinds of like crazy shenanigans, and he goes into her into her room, and it's like okay, well how does he know where the hidden key is and why didn't the other neighbor know where the hidden key is and how does he know any of that? And that's just too big of a coincidence, but we need him to be able to go in there when nobody else could in that time. So a coincidence is fine. He knows where the hidden key is, but how do we make that work? Okay. Well, the way we made that work is by tying it into something else. 
where they had an almost kiss like sometime before. And, you know, because there's like this chemistry between these two characters, it never quite works between them. And in the outline, they had some like sloppy kiss that never really went anywhere before. So that's already in the outline. And we have this other thing where he's going to need the key. So what we did is we put those two things together. So he's coming home with her at one point and she's like sloppy drunk. They have their kiss and she's like, let me just tell you where my key is. <laughs> you haven't even been there. And he's like, I can't sleep with you right now. You're teaching me how to break and enter into your house. Clearly you are drunk. <laughs> and so now that becomes part of their backstory. And if they talk about that earlier, then when he needs that key, it's there. So it's okay to get to the part in your story where they just find the key. It Just don't publish that story yet. <laughs> Make sure that you take the time to go back. It doesn't have to be in your outline to be in your story, but it does have to be in your story to be believable. Yes. Um, and anytime, like you said, you've got like a plot hole like that, like looking at the other elements of your story and trying to find out like, how could this have been caused by something earlier? Um fixes almost all of them. <laughs> it just makes your story stronger. So, okay, here, here's something else I want to talk about. What about, what would you, um, because I do think that people need to get feedback. I think that's really important. Um, you know, if you're, it's really hard to know because we can have an outline that we think, you know, this looks pretty good, but every, it happens to every single one of us. If Dave hands me an outline, I'm going to find problems with it. If I hand Dave an outline, he's definitely going to find problems with it. You know, and that's true for 100% of people in the company. When we pass an outline to somebody else, it's their job to find problems with it. That's what they're supposed to do. If they pass it back and say, good to go. Well, clearly they weren't reading <laughs> because nothing is ever just good to go. One of us is always there to offer our insight. So I think that we, we do a really good job of making it safe here. And so no matter what the no matter what the criticism is, it's all just in service of getting a better story, even if we're you know, yelling and swearing at each other in the comments because we know we can take that. It's still a, a safe place. So what do you, how do you suggest that, that authors take criticism um, when, they're, when they're getting feedback from people? Like if they ask for feedback and they're supposed to trust that feedback, I know it's hard to hear sometimes that like, look, you, you made some really poor storytelling choices here. So... I think that the the more willing, I think when you're looking at this stuff, you're very confident that whatever you say, it's going to be taken in the right way. And that probably gives you a lot of freedom to say what you actually mean instead of dancing around it, which means we get better stories faster. What advice would you give to authors to kind of set themselves up to receive that information and and treat it with the respect it deserves and not take it personally? That's a really good question. And it took me years to get to the point where I really did have a good emotional relationship with feedback. <laughs> and part of it is to realize that they're never the, the person giving you feedback is never giving you feedback on who you are, are as a person. And well, Dave not... is, just to be clear. <laughs> Dave always okay, maybe Dave Your story is. sucks and you suck as a human. <laughs> um, he always not... brings my family into the story jacket. It's crazy. <laughs> Oh, no. Your mother should have um, never had you. There it is. <laughs> okay. Um, so, like, they're not even giving you feedback on who you are as a storyteller in terms of your potential. They're always giving you feedback on the marks you put on the pages that you handed them. Like, it's like 
black marks on a page. They give you feedback on how those black marks made them feel. And so then you need to say, okay, now I have data on how the way that I use words actually triggers other people's emotions. Um, so it's like almost like an experiment. That was very like, well said. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then once you've done that, realize also that they're going to give you two kinds of feedback. They're going to identify the problem, which they may or may not articulate as well as they need to. They may, they may describe the problem in one way, but it might not be the way you need to see it to fix it. And they're probably going to give you a solution. And you should always take the, the solution with a grain of salt because that's how they would fix it. And that's how they would write the story. Um, and I just want to give you an example of a piece of feedback that kind of was transformative for me. I had written this um, story that I had submitted to a bunch of contests. Um, and it was just like submitting the first chapter. And I got a lot of really great feedback on it that was positive. But I had this one person who said her comment was, you should make your heroine a doctor or a nurse and give her a dog. Everybody likes doctors and nurses and everybody likes dogs. I'm like, this character is Did like Dave a familiar Dave? feedback. This, the, well, this character is like an immortal demon slayer. And she's, she's like kind of isolated in the city and like, like there's nothing about the character that would have lent itself to her, like deciding to become a doctor and adopting a dog. It would have ruined the story to do that. But, I kind of want to see the piece of writing now. Um, I could send it to you if you want, but basically she was trying to tell me something that was incredibly important that no one else was trying to tell me. What she was trying to tell me was I don't like your character enough to spend time with her. But uh, her solution, like she wasn't just able to articulate that. She was so like, a no. doctor because then she helps people and a right. dog because it's a bonding agent. Got because it. Because that's what would have made it more likable for her as a reader. Um, so when someone gives you advice, I spent like three weeks being mad about that advice. I was just like, what the? <laughs> why did she say that? It just drove me crazy until I finally realized that she was actually giving me the best feedback I had ever gotten on that particular story which was that I wasn't generating sympathy and empathy. Um, so when you get feedback from people, sometimes they're going to give you stuff because it's hard to separate how we would do things from how they should be done necessarily. Like we always are going to be trying not to impose our own vision on your story when we give you feedback. Just recognize that even when we try, we might fail. So you're going to have to look at that feedback and say, okay, maybe this doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to try and understand what this person is trying to say, even though the, the thing they're suggesting doesn't make sense. What, okay, so what about the difference between getting feedback from, from writers, developmental editors, people who really understand story, and then people who consume story? Because it's certainly <laughs> a, great, it's a great budget way to do it, right? If you, you know, you can ask a bunch of friends, hey, can you read this outline and, you know, tell me what you think? What are the big holes? If you were to see this on TV, would you keep watching it? Uh, I, I mean, personally, I think there's a lot of value in that because you're creating entertainment. And you, what you just said, I think, is is really important to pay attention to, which is when an author or, or someone in the know gives you feedback on the story and they are in the know, they are giving you their interpretation of how they would handle that same narrative, almost always. And they're not you as a writer, and they don't necessarily know who your ideal reader is. And there is some definite fill-in-the-blanks stuff that's happening there. And so you do have to be careful. If you're just giving it to people who are gauging it solely on 
um, how they feel about that as entertainment. And they're the kind of people who would normally um, pay attention to that kind of entertainment. Then they could have some of the best advice you could possibly get. But again, don't take it all wholesale. Take what they're saying and evaluate it against the kinds of stories that you're trying to tell and treat it with purpose. And I think that's how you end up with something really special. I totally agree. And like, even it's not even a beta reader where I got really unhelpful advice because um, a writer's groups are great for discovering what your weaknesses are as a writer. But unless you have a really special group, kind of like you're cultivating within Sterling and Stone, where everybody is not just like, here's my opinion, here's my opinion, but they're like, I see what you're trying to do and I'm going to try and help you do that as opposed yeah. to I'm just going to like spew out feedback and, and tell you how I would write the story. Well, so, it's, it's a total absence of ego. You have to go into it by the story is first. The characters are first. It's not about whose idea is most awesome because if you're worried about that, if you're, if you're counting credits, then you're the story will suffer. Yes, very much. Also, I, I I, I think there's an element to some writers groups where it's a social thing and they're, they're, they're more there for the social aspect of it than actually, you know, working on their art, not all, but some that I've seen anyway. Or even, or even ego in a way, like, well, let me show you how I would handle that rather than what well, that, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. it. I, that's exactly it. And, yeah. and I think that that could be really dangerous to the story because it, you're not, that person isn't telling the story and they could send you in, you know, very clearly in the wrong direction. And then that sucks. Well, and it can be poisonous to you as a writer too, because if you're constantly telling, getting the same people, the same five people every week telling you like, you should write a different kind of story. Like eventually you end up writing romance because that's what everyone's telling you to write. Right. <laughs> and then you need genre therapy. <laughs> Maybe I just get new friends <laughs> or no friends. That's the way I like it. <laughs> All right. So any uh, concluding thoughts on, on story jacketing as far as who should be qualified to do them and what you should look for and the sort of the poor person's way to do it and all that stuff before we close up in terms of the poor person's way to do it. You probably have a few friends or writers or not writers who do have that ability to kind of try and take their ego out of the process um, and try and genuinely help you figure your story out as opposed to, um, as opposed to telling you how they would write it. And I would say when you find those people treat them so well that they never want to stop reading for you, because <laughs> those are the people that are going to help you get good. Um, you still have to take everything they say with a grain of salt and try and understand the why behind it. Um, but like those friends who are willing to do that for you are worth their weight in gold. So that's what you want to look for is someone, someone who like Sean said is taking their ego out of the process and they're generally just wanting to help you figure out what your story is going to be. All right. So um, I guess we'll close this one up and um, on the next episode, we'll just talk concluding uh, thoughts on story, but thank you again for, um, for being on Bonnie. Always a pleasure. And thank you for making us better story by story, not just, being on the podcast yes. <laughs> thank oh, you for gosh. everything you do yes, yes. yeah thank you for bringing me in i love working with you guys yeah Yay. no you're 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 a superstar thank you so much for everything 
And look for Bonnie at the uh, Smarter Artist Summit. Just get that in there as well. Yeah, <laughs> oh, good job, speakers. <laughs> well, I just I forgot to mention at the outset, but that, that's important. All right. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time on Story Studio Podcast. Adios. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Are you wondering what the ever-growing demand for superb storytelling skills means for your future? Check out our latest interview as Johnny and Sean dive deep into that question in Storytelling is the Future, How to Build on Your Self-Publishing Success. Download the interview from the info box or show notes in YouTube or head over to sterlingandstone.net slash future. 